Good morning. We're in Colossians chapter 2 this morning. Colossians, and we're going to read the whole chapter. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments, for though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Therefore, Let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and worship of angels going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you die to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed indeed, an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and severe self-discipline and severity to the body, 
but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you that we can come before you this morning and look to your word. Lord, I just pray again that your Holy Spirit here would do a miracle in our hearts today, that we could be transformed by the renewing of your word as we hear it this morning. Lord, you would soften our hearts. Help us, Lord, to take uh, all those things that we came in with, the distractions, the cares of this world, the physical things, the financial things. I just pray right now that you would remove them. Lord, that we could fix our eyes on you and your word, that we could hear from you this morning and go out new creations. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. As we've been on this journey with Paul in his letter to the church at Colossae, there's this... uh, There's a focus that I really want you to pick up on, and that is that Jesus Christ is the main thing. Now, last week we talked about finding our identity in Christ, right? That that uh, it's it's about it's about being connected to Him, and that concept is going to carry all the way through the book of Colossians. And there would be far less uh, drama in church history if the church paid attention to the Word of God. We spend a lot of time fighting over things we're going to talk about today. We're fighting over what you can eat, what you can't eat, when you should worship, what day, what that's supposed to look like. We fight about a lot of things. But what's Paul telling us in the book of Colossians? Paul is telling us, he's, he's charging us, he's challenging us to say that, that it's Christ. It's a pursuit of Christ, not the pursuit of something else. It's the pursuit of Him. It's laying hold of Him. Paul would say, we read when we studied Philippians, he said, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but this one thing I do. I like rules that are one. One rule is doable. Ten, well, I know them, but one's easier. He wants us to focus on one thing. What's that one thing? This one thing I do, forgetting the things which lie behind. I press on. Toward who? The upward call of Christ Jesus our Lord. What's he saying? He's saying, look, I don't, I'm not going to focus on all these other peripheral issues. I'm going to focus on one thing. Christ. When Jesus came and he called his disciples, he had this little phrase that he used all throughout the Gospels. And we, we make the, the, the Christian walk so complicated, but Jesus never did. He just said this, come follow me. But we, we are men and women of systems and, and thought and we start to complicate. Now, I'm not, I'm not going to say there's not complicated issues. Sure there are. But where is it that our eyes are supposed to be focused? On Jesus. On following Him. Because everything that God has to reveal about Himself is wrapped up in the Son. Everything we want to know about where to go and how to get there is wrapped up in the Son. 
We need to be in a constant, consistent pursuit of Jesus Christ. And there are things that distract us from that. And they are often religious things. And we let this, these religious things, these things that want to bind us, that's the concept of religion means to be bound, these things that want to bind us are, are things that will take our eyes off of Christ and put them onto a thing, whatever it is. A, a style of eating. But our walk with Christ is not about diet or days. Our walk with Christ is all about pursuing Him. Going after Him. And the Lord may speak to your heart or my heart a lot of different ways. Maybe He'll have you do something differently than how I'm doing it. But what He's challenging us to, me to, is be obedient to Him. Paul would write this in another place. Let every man be fully convinced in his own mind. But the point is, don't get focused on the things the Lord is telling you to cut out of your life, just cut them out and put your eyes on Christ. But our tendency is to say, well, now that God did that in my life, I need to have a class to tell everybody else how to do it. And in reality, the class you need to have is to have them walk in the Spirit. And if the Lord is telling you cut something out, then cut it out. And keep your eyes on the prize. Keep your eyes on the one who was beat by the fists of man for us. Keep your eyes on the one who laid it all aside. We'll we'll never be able to fathom what it is that that the Son did for us. There's nothing you can compare it to. You don't know what it is to be a Yahweh and then be man. Those are simple words to say, but what's it mean? We sit around in theological circles every once in a while. We have a men's retreat. We do this thing where we gather around a table and we throw radical theological ideas at one another just to blow each other's mind and make make somebody angry. And then we have our little battles around the table. Some of you guys say, well, that doesn't sound like fun. Well, don't sit around the table with us and it'll be okay. But if you do sit around that table, we talk about all these things. And what that shows is not, it's not one guy trying to be smarter than another guy. It's realizing the, the vast expanse that God crossed for us. That it's not simple. What does it mean for a God who is everywhere all the time to be confined in a human body? What does that mean? What does it look like? How does that happen? And in the midst of this confinement to still be what Colossians declares, the fullness of God in bodily form. But yet that's what the Word of God declares. The pursuit for the believer is Jesus Christ. I want to be like Him. Walk like him, talk like him. I'm going to sing that song again. I want to follow what the Lord has. Now here's the reality. Legalism begins to creep in. It always does. It always happens. It creeps into my life. It creeps into your life. Let's not pretend 
We don't have our, our variety of struggles with the idea of legalism. And legalism is always built around a few concepts. So one of those concepts is always about judging others. It's always about judging others. Now, every unbeliever knows the scripture, judge, judge not that you not be judged. Everybody, it's so overused, it, it's lost all meaning. But scripture definitely calls us that there are things for us to judge. But one of the things it tells us not to do is judge one another. Paul would ask the question, why do you judge your brother? To his own master, he will stand or fall. Last I checked, you're not the master. There's one head, right? Who's the one head? Jesus. One head. And everyone will give answer to him, right? Who am I responsible to? I'm responsible to him. To be obedient to him. The quickest way to get what you want is to come tell me, the Lord told me I'm supposed to do this. But I... Guess you better get to doing it then. We want to be responding to what God has. So here's, here's what Paul writes to keep our eyes focused on Christ, to keep our walk focused on following Him, to not get distracted by other things. This is what he says in verse 16. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink. That is a pretty clear statement. No, it's... You think there's a lot of things we need to, to dig out of that? Let no one pass judgment on you for food and drink. Diet and days is what he's going to talk about. Or with regard to a festival, a new moon, or a Sabbath. Now, if just this verse would have been paid attention to during the Middle Ages during vast periods of church history, if the church had held fast to what the Word of God said, there would be a lot less people burned at the stake. And just to prove that we're so good at learning the lessons of the past, we don't pull out stakes now, we just burn you on Facebook. Or we burn you in effigy. I don't know, the way things are going on in the world, maybe they'll start burning at the stake again, but... The point being, look, we, we still do the same stuff. We are still, as a church, as a body of Christ, fighting over the same things. And Paul said, clearly, let no one pass judgment on you in regard to diet and days. Because diet and days, he's going to tell us, are a shadow. And the substance is Christ. A shadow is a refraction of light where something got in the way of, of the light that was shining and what we're left with is a shadow, right? The shadow on the ground which is not an exact replica of the light, right? It's just, uh, it's just caused by something coming in the way. And so God in His revelation to mankind, He's not capable to give us everything. And He's limited by our understanding and He's limited by our language. Yes? You think God has words for things that we don't have words for? You think God has understanding for things we don't understand? So God is, is revealing, as we go through the word of God, he's revealing himself to us. And so as he does it, he gives us things that are shadows. They're not clear, but they're really designed to give a distinction between God's people and everyone else. 
And then here comes Christ. When he's perfect. And he's beautiful. And he's amazing. Full of grace. We beheld him, the disciples said. We looked at, we beheld him. We saw the glory of Almighty God in physical form. They're blown away by what they saw. And yet, men keep wanting to go back to the shadow. Why do you want to go back to the shadow when that which is clear has come? Why do you want to look at the things that are fuzzy when the clear is right before us? And this is, this is what Paul is indicating. And we need to understand when we talk about the idea of diet or food or drink, the point of the dietary laws was not your health. I don't care who wrote a book. It, had, it, it was about your separation. That's what the Word of God says. Are we going by the Word of God or our, our own opinions? So far, going on our own opinions in this world is doing a lot of good, right? We see all the... the Politicians coming together as they share their own opinions. Oh. And, and because all of those opinions that are being shared are based on a variety of subjective truth that is subjective for each individual person, there's no ultimate authority for them to be bound together by. But it's not that way in the church. In the church there is an ultimate authority. The ultimate authority is God and His revelation to us through His Word. Now we might argue over how something ought to be interpreted, but the ultimate authority is the Word. (coughs) What is it telling us? What does He say? In Leviticus 11, God talking about the dietary restrictions. Leviticus 11, 44 says this, For I am the Lord your God. So consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. Be separate. This is what he's saying. I want a distinction between my people and the world. So how am I going to get that distinction? You shall not defile yourselves with anything, with any swarming thing that crawls on the ground. Now, for you and I, that should be easy, right? When's the last time you were walking around, saw swarming things on the ground, and said, Lunch. (laughs) Nope. You see a big pile of, of yellow jackets swarming and you go, hmm, that looks good. No. No. He says, so he says, look, I, I don't want you to eat the things that are swarming, crawling on the ground. For I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. What's he saying? I want you to be different. I want you to be distinct. And so God, in his wisdom, he said, look, I, I want you to be distinct according to your diet. I want people to know there's something different about you. And I want them to know there's something different about you because of the way you eat. So this is the law about beast and bird and every living creature that moves through the water, every creature that swarms on the ground, to make a distinction between the unclean and the clean, between the living creature that can be eaten and the living creature that cannot. God says, I just, I'm just setting this so that you look like somebody who follows me. I'm holy. I'm different. I'm separate. What's he teaching us? He's teaching us that God is transcendent. He's not like us. So in his revelation to man, in his progressive revelation about himself to mankind, he says, I want you, therefore, who are following me to be distinct as well. Here's an easy way for you to do that. I just don't want you to eat what everybody else eats. 
That's the shadow. The reality is Christ. The shadow is, I want you to be different. I want you to be like me. Here's a way that that can be done. Leviticus 20, verse 25. says, you shall therefore <coughs> separate the clean beast from the unclean. The unclean bird from the clean. You will not make yourself detestable by beast or by bird or by anything with which the ground calls, which I have set apart for you to hold unclean. So God said, I, I've set these apart. These are unclean. I want you to be like me. I want you to be like me. The shadow. God's progressive revelation to men. I want you, you shall be holy to me, separated unto me. For I, the Lord, am holy and have separated you from all the peoples. I've separated you. I want you to be distinct. He's giving us illustration. He's teaching us what it is to follow him. And it doesn't have anything to do with what you eat. It has everything to do with being separate. Being like God. God says, let me just pick something easy. Here, be separate. Be like me. Now, Jesus deals with this problem. Jesus deals with the shadow. So we don't have to go, I wonder what all this is all about, and I wonder how we should how we should apply all these things to ourselves. No, we just go to the Word, which is authoritative. And Jesus dealt with the problem of, of unclean and clean things, and whether or not that's what defiles you. You remember? In Mark chapter 7, verse 14, it says, And he called the people to him again, and he said... Hear me, all of you, and understand. Now, this is Jesus describing the light of God, describing the light, not the shadow. What's the point? What is the point that God is teaching His people? Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into Him can defile Him. He's saying it's not about the food. It doesn't have anything to do with the food. There's nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. Jesus is saying, you're already defiled. It's not about your food. It's not that Gentiles aren't defiled because they don't eat what you eat. It's not about the diet, he's saying. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples said to him, asked him about the parable and he said to them then are you also without understanding do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him this Jesus talking now the church has been fighting over this for a long time are we supposed to follow the dietary restrictions so Jesus is saying well look it has nothing to do with what you eat it's not about the food <coughs> that is coming from the outside since it enters not your heart. It just goes into your stomach and is expelled. Look what Mark writes. Thus he declared all foods clean. Who did? Jesus did. He declared all foods clean because it's not the food that defiles you. What defiles you is what's already in your heart. Evil thought, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. These things come from inside of you already. They're in you. 
So Jesus is giving a teaching. Look, it's not the, the, the food, the dietary law was a shadow to say, I want you to be like me. Now Jesus is giving us further clarification. It's not about the food you eat. It's about all the ugly that's inside of you. It's about all the stuff that's inside of you that makes you unclean. It makes you unclean. You and I, we are unclean beasts, unfit for the master's use. But listen, in Acts chapter 10, God gives us further revelation, right? He finishes the things he has to say about himself through Jesus Christ. What does he say in Acts chapter 10? Peter, arise, kill, and eat. And Peter says, no! Now, just let's get something clear. If God tells you to do something, the answer should not ever be, no! This is why God repeats it three times. Peter, arise, kill, and eat. No, Lord, no. I've never done that. God is saying to Peter, who's a good Jew, it's not about the food. Let go of the shadow and hold the substance. It's not about the food. Three times, Peter, arise, kill, and eat. Peter, arise, kill, and eat. Each time the Lord said this at the end. Do not call common or unclean what I have cleansed. How was it cleansed? By the blood of Jesus Christ. What is defiling a man is already in him. And Jesus Christ has paid that price. And now as the gospel is going forward, Paul recognizes... That in churches, people are arguing over food. And he's like, what are you guys doing? Why would you argue over this food? You have Christ. You have all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge in Him. You have all the fullness of God in bodily form. Why would you leave that for food? Jesus said, food does not defile you. Your heart has defiled you. And Jesus Christ died so that your heart could be cleansed. Focus on the things that we need to focus on. And don't be separated by the progressive revelation of God because we want to misapply and misunderstand and not hold fast to the word of God and go systematically through what God's word is telling us. I can pull one verse out of the Bible and get you to do anything. But Paul declared, I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. All of it. All. We got to look at it all. We got to ingest it all. We got to understand it all so that we're not allowing diet to separate us. What about days? Don't we allow days to separate us? Sure we do. We still have brothers and sisters. Does it matter what day you worship on? Does does the Bible have anything to say about that? Because the church is still fighting over special days, annual feasts. When is Easter really supposed to be? Why? You know that people died over that question. When I think about that, I, I am appalled. Because Paul wrote long before that argument took off. Paul wrote, let no one judge you according to days. 
if the apostles did not give us distinct days to worship on, then let me tell you, there are none. You worship how you want. You want to celebrate Passover and not Easter? Knock yourself out. You want to, you want to celebrate uh, the birth of Christ on, on September 24th or 22nd? Whatever the latest date is they think it was? Knock yourself out. But it's not prescribed by the Word of God. So for us to burn somebody at the stake because they have a different opinion is kind of foolish. No? To sit around and argue about all the pagan roots to all the different ideas. That's not foolish. Let no one judge you according to days. How many people is no one? Does that cover everyone? Or are there certain distinct uh, uh, heretic hunters that God is setting aside? Except for these guys. These guys can judge everyone according to days. No. Each of these, the idea of the worship, God gave, listen, I want you to understand this because this is important. God gave prescribed exact days to the children of Israel to celebrate in certain ways. He gave them exact days, annual feasts. All of those annual feasts are shadows of the substance of Christ. Every single feast points to Jesus. Every single celebration that they had in some way describes the majesty of Jesus Christ. They're all shadows. In the New Testament, under the New Covenant, the apostles gave us no such days. No prescription. Paul's going to tell us in Romans 14, listen to this. As for the one who is weak in the faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he can eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. I'm going to avoid the chance to say something about that. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. Listen to that, please listen. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. What is the point? The, the, the things that the apostles did teach is, don't fight over it. If you don't want to eat, don't eat. If you want to celebrate this, celebrate it. If you want to celebrate that, celebrate it. But don't fight about it. And for 2,000 years, we in our obedience have been like the children of Israel and fought over it. The clear teaching of the Word of God, let no one judge you according to diet or days. He says, don't, don't hate the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. <clears throat> for God has welcomed him. Did Jesus die for you? Yeah, what's the main thing? It's not our diet or days. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master he stands or falls. And he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. So it doesn't matter whether you eat or you don't eat. If you decide, I'm going to live by the dietary restrictions, praise the Lord, live by the dietary restrictions. Just do this. Don't put your eyes on the diet, put your eyes on the prize. And we shouldn't fight about it. Eat how you want to eat. Worship how you want to worship. One person esteems one day as better than another. Another esteems all days the same. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day, observes it to honor the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. 
For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. If we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. We belong to Him. He is the main thing. Not diet or days. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you hate your brother? For we all will stand before the judgment seat of God. He's the one we give an answer to. If God is telling you to do something, then by all means do it. But I promise you this, God is not telling you to tell me to do something. (laughs) He's just not. The same God who can speak to you can speak to me. Right? And if God's told you, then please do it. If God's told you that you need to worship on day A, B, C, D, E, F, or G, it doesn't matter to me then by all means, worship that way. Be obedient to what God has told you. But let's not fight about it. To my own master, I stand or fall. And God is able to make me stand no matter what day I worship on. Isn't that what the scripture is saying? No matter what foods I'm eating. He says, so then each of us will give an account of himself to God. That's who you're responsible to. What's the main thing? Where are our eyes Focus. Now, when we come in, guys, when we are dealing <clears throat> with this legalism, it's, it starts about focusing on things that don't produce growth. It doesn't cause us to grow, and it ignores what is absolutely impossible. Look at Colossians 2, verse 17. It says, these are a shadow of things to come. The substance is Christ. What is important? Diet in days? Now you put in whatever things you want in for diet and days. This was their issue. The church has been fighting over diet and days for a long time. The church has fought over other things too. Belt or suspenders. <laughs> tie or no tie. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> if I do a vote, I don't know which way it'll go. Not too many ties in here, Phil. Sorry, brother. However... Does, should one hate the other if one does and the other doesn't? Does it matter? What's the main thing? Jesus. What is the substance? Jesus. Not the shadow. The shadow is not the reality. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews tells us in chapter 10, verse 1. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of those realities... It can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. What is the writer of Hebrews saying? The law is a shadow. The substance is who? Christ. How do you fulfill the law? You fulfill the law by pursuing Christ. Jesus made the law simple, guys. Simple, 613, 619 commandments. Jesus made it simple. Love God, love people. That's what Jesus said. All the law and the prophets are fulfilled in this. 1 John 4, 7 and 8 tells us God is love. God is love. Love will always tell the truth. 
Love will not steal what does not belong to it. The scripture lays out for us the substance, the reality (coughs) is Jesus. Everything God had to say from the Old Testament, Genesis, all the way till we come to the gospel accounts of Jesus Christ, everything is leading to Christ. Then we have Christ. Everything is shadows and illustrations of the reality of Jesus Christ. So the writer of Hebrews says, don't go back to the shadow. Why are you going back to the shadow? You have the substance. Paul is saying, Colossians 2, these things are shadows. Jesus is the reality. I've shared this before. When I was in boot camp, I had a picture of my wife. She wasn't my wife then. She was my girlfriend. And the only way I got through looking at ugly guys with short hair yelling at me was at night I'd sit down and I'd look at her picture. And that that picture carried me through. I went through all that time, 13 weeks. I get to graduation, and at graduation, Kathy was there. Now how stupid would it be for me after graduation to just sit in a corner hugging the picture? When the substance was there. Do you get what I'm saying? To hug the thing that brought us comfort as we were growing in our understanding of who God is. Rather than holding on to the substance of who God actually is. Are you tracking with me? So he's saying lay these things aside. Let them go. Hold on to the substance. Which is Christ. Because this attitude of legalism, this attitude that starts to come up with all these lists of do's and don'ts, that, that, that may actually be good things or, or may not, or doesn't really matter, they all produce the same thing, pride. And God opposes the proud. They all produce a spiritual arrogance. And there's nothing uglier than spiritual arrogance. What is the attitude that God wants in the heart of a believer? Humility. Not false humility. Not false humility. Listen to what he says in verse 18. Let no one disqualifying, let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism, the worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, and puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind. Very first thing he talks about is false humility. This is what he's talking about. This is pride. False humility is pride. Asceticism period of church history, where to prove that they had conquered the battles of the flesh, men would spend their entire life sitting on a pole outside of a cave from sunup till sundown, to prove that they were so humble. What a giant waste of a life. When I went to Greece, we went to several monasteries, areas where monks had taken the oath of celibacy and went off on a cave by themselves and live in this cave. And everybody talks about how holy they are. And all I can think is this is stupid. It has nothing to do with what they're giving up. Who cares? But who are you sharing Christ with in a cave living by yourself? What are you doing? What are you accomplishing? You're saying in this attitude of false humility, you're actually lifting yourself up and saying, look at me, I can sit on a pole for 20 years. And there's actually 
monks who died sitting on a pole. And people said, ooh, so holy. That's, the Bible is saying asceticism, self-discipline just for the sake of elevating yourself, that accomplishes nothing. He says, don't let anybody disqualify you, insisting that you go sit on a pole, that you go hide in a cave. Don't let them disqualify for you. That's false humility. Humility is based on what God says about you. You want to know how to be humble? This is not, this is not humility. You, let's, say, let's say I'll pick on Richard. Richard's up here doing worship. Did a great job of worship this morning. And somebody comes over to Richard and says, Man, Richard, that was awesome worship this morning. And he goes, Oh, it's not, it's not me. It's God. Oh, oh. That's not humility. That's not humility. Richard knows. He's gifted. The best answer when somebody tells you, hey, that was a good job, the best answer is, thank you. You don't got to be weird. (laughs) You don't got to be crazy. You don't got to do something. That's false humility. Real humility is the tax collector that Jesus talked about that was beating his breast and saying, God, have mercy on me, what? A sinner. Because I am what you say I am. And you say, I'm broken if I'm not in you. And I'm only whole when I'm in Christ. So I can say I'm absolutely whole because I'm in Christ. I can say I can be delivered from whatever things are going on in my life because I'm in Christ. But it's about Him. True humility says what God says about me. That I I just say what God says. Yeah. I just want to... I just want to say what God, I just want to, I just want to bring honor and glory to Him. Now, there's nothing wrong with wanting to glorify God for, for uh, the, utilizing the gifts that God's given us to use, but we don't want to walk in false humility, we want to walk in true humility. Sometimes I think it's truly humble just to say thanks. Appreciate that. Thanks for the encouragement. That's okay. We all know who's, who's working in your life. The same guy's working in my life. Right? We all know what's going on. We want, to, we want to walk in humility. Not false humility. Not insisting on some idea of asceticism. Not exalting angels. This is the other thing they, that they would do. They would say, they draw attention away from Jesus and focus on angels. Look, I, I, I just am so humble... I don't think I can pray to Jesus, so I'm going to pray to the angel, and the angel's going to pray to Jesus for me because I'm so humble. No, that's not humility, that's stupidity. What does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? This is going to be our solution all the time. The Bible says that I can enter boldly to the throne of grace, boldly by the blood of Jesus Christ, that I can come to the Father and make my requests known. That's what the Word of God says. Paul says, don't let these people, don't let people do this to you. Don't let them disqualify you because you don't measure up to some idea of rules that they have that's really elevating their pride. The third one that he he lists right here, going on in detail about visions. Now I know people, I believe in visions. God gives visions today, absolutely. But if your vision distracts from Jesus, then that's not a vision from God. 
What do I mean? Or sometimes people get on, go on so much detail, detail upon detail upon detail about the vision so that my eyes are no longer on Jesus. My eyes are on you and your incredible vision. Do you understand? And my eyes are off the prize. And Paul says there's only one prize. The prize is Jesus Christ. Why would I go on detail and detail and detail about vision? Because I'm puffed up with pride. Because I want you to hear how great I am. I had a vision. Visions are real. God used visions and dreams in my wife's life a number of times. When I was a wicked and adulterous man. It's a horrible thing to be caught in a lie by a wife's dream. Because you know, you could, you could lie to her whatever you want. But when she says, I had this dream and this happened, did that really happen? Well, no matter whether you lie or not, you know something just happened, right? You go, whoa. She can't know that. How she know that? How can she know that? Dreams and visions are real, but they ought to glorify God, not the person who had the vision. Are you, are you understanding what I'm saying? And people say, well, you, you didn't have a vision like I had. They're, they're, they're puffed up with pride. This, the last one, puffed up without reason <clears throat> by a sensuous mind. Why are they puffed up? Because they want glory. They want glory. Don't understand that. I don't put up a, a big sign out in front of the church with my face on it saying, come, and, come to hear Jackie Roberts teach. Why? Because who am I? Nobody. We come here to experience Jesus Christ. To talk about the word, what the Word of God says. To worship Him. To clear out our minds and allow God to speak through His Word and through worship. We don't elevate self. We elevate Christ. Who's the main thing? He's the one in whom all deity dwells in bodily form. Look at verse 20 at Colossians 2. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why is if still alive to the world do you submit yourself to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Jesus Christ said, I came to make you free. He set us free from sin, not free to sin. So I don't focus on my sin, I focus on my Savior. Do you understand? I don't focus on the list of things I ought not do, I focus on Him. If I focus on Him, the ought nots won't happen. Because my eyes are on the prize, I'm following Jesus, and Jesus is not taking me down a trail into those places that I spent so much time Jesus is leading me to places that He wants me to walk. Now, I may walk through the valley of the shadow of death, but I don't have to be afraid because you are with me. Right? <clears throat> Keeping our eyes on the prize, not focused on sin, focused on Christ. Verse 22, referring to things that all perish as they're used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body. But they don't do anything. You're wasting your time. If your eyes are on anything 
other than Jesus Christ. This is what Paul's saying in Colossians. If your eyes are on anything else, if you think you're going to become separate or holy by what you eat or what day you worship on or how many days you worship, you become holy by being in Christ Jesus. You become separate by, by, by being in Him. Jesus Christ has provided for you. He has provided for me. So that I can absolutely be holy. But my absolute holiness doesn't depend on the shadow. It depends on the substance. He's the head. We are the body. So be the body of Christ. Be in His body. Be there to recognize all these other things. They look like wisdom, but they're not. Because they won't give you the power to break free like Jesus does. But Jesus does give you the power to break free. When I was coaching football, I used to scream at kids. I, I like to scream at kids, if I'm honest. And I would scream at kids about fumbling the ball. You guys have heard me tell you this before. Don't fumble, don't fumble, don't fumble, don't fumble, don't fumble. I had this friend of mine who is an incredible coach. He actually has, he's living in Idaho now. He's an incredible coach, incredibly gifted teacher. Every, every coach at his core is a teacher. And so he said to me, he said, Coach, maybe let's not focus so much on fumbling. What if you just said... Take care of the ball. Okay. So I started saying, well, hollering, take care of the ball. Take care of the ball. Take care of the ball. What happened was the kids stopped focusing on fumble, 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 and started focus on take care, take care, take care. And I saw it work. Here's what, here's what the Word of God is telling us. Don't focus on whatever things you think you need to cut out or add into your life to make you holy. Just focus on Christ. And if you focus on Christ, that will happen. Growth will happen. Fruitfulness takes place because you're attached to the vine, not because you grunt and groan. So our goal is to be attached to the vine, the one Jesus Christ is all we need. And all those other things that people fight about, we're just going to lay them down and we're going to say, Lord, what do you want me to do? I'm following you. What do you want me to let go of? What do you want me to take up? Because I just want you. All I want is you. And the more of Jesus Christ that we have, the more transformed you will be. But if you sit down and you think, I'm going to become transformed, I'm no longer going to watch TV. Or I'm no longer going to drink alcohol. Or I'm no longer going to smoke a cigarette. As though any of those things have anything to do with anything. But if you, if you focus on that, you're never going to attain. You attain by forgetting the things which lie behind. And putting my eyes on the prize prize is Jesus. He's the head. We're the body. I want more of Him. That's it. I don't want less TV. I want more Jesus. I don't want less of anything else. I want more Jesus. 
pursue Christ and you will become holy, separated unto him. Because that's our pursuit. That's what being a Christian is all about. A Christian is someone who has said, I will follow you. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, we lift this time to you, Lord, and we pray, God, that you would challenge us. God, if we found ourselves in a place where we're holding on to legalistic ideas and we're focused on things that aren't you, then you bring that to our attention, God, that we might repent, that we might turn from our failure and sin and turn to you. You are our deliverer. So God, I pray that you would deliver brothers and sisters here this morning who are struggling with legalism. Deliver them from legalism and into the hands of a loving heavenly father who revealed himself fully and completely through his son, Jesus Christ. God, may we hold fast to you because you're the reality. Everything else is shadow. So we want you. We want all, Lord, you declared throughout the Old Testament. Here's, here's what I'm looking for from my people. Not people who, who eat perfectly the diet that I've, I've asked them to eat. Or who follow perfectly the feast days. I want someone who wants to know me. I, I want someone who seeks me for me. This is what God said. I want someone who, who seeks me, not just for what I can do for them. Someone who wants to know me. I, I want someone who will be faithful to me. God, this is what your word declares. All the way through Genesis to Revelation, you're asking for the same thing. Pursue me. For the man who seeks me will find me when he seeks me with all his heart. When the humble man who bows his knee before a holy God and says, God, I'm not worthy to be called your son. Yet the father is there at the, so quickly to pick him up and throw a robe of righteousness on his shoulders and make the declaration, this is my Son, child of God, because you know you need me, because you have bowed the knee before me, because you are pursuing me for me, I will make you holy. Man, God, I just pray that we really get it. The message that you're declaring to us. I pray that your spirit would move in this place. Lord God, convict men's hearts. And as we have an opportunity for prayer at the close of service. That anyone with whom the spirit of God is calling or provoking. Or anyone with need. Would come forward to the people up front who are here to pray with them. It'll mean you have to humble yourself. But God, He exalts the humble.
He helps them grow and become the men and women God wants them to be. God, may we pursue Christ. He is the substance. May we shirk from the shadow. Forget the things which lie behind and press on toward the upward call of Christ Jesus our Lord. For He is worthy. We give you praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen.